are in a series called Greater Than. We're looking at what if Jesus, what if Jesus ran for political office? And I know he didn't run for political office. He actually ran from being put in political office, not running towards being put in political office. But Jesus is a king, and he did have a stump speech. See, presidents in Congress uh, today, when they go on the campaign trail, what they do is they tell you what it's going to be like to be a part of a country that's run by them. That's what political speeches are all about. What is it like to be a part of the kingdom that is run by them or or a country that is run by them? Jesus had a stump speech that told us his platforms, 10 different platforms. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And we are in week number seven. We just keep chugging right along throughout this summer series. Week number seven, school's, uh, summer is over. School starts back this week. Yes, two, two, two in school, two out of school, and one is not mobile. So that's a positive thing. That is, that is positive. But we are in uh, the middle of the series because the middle is just huge, Dave. We're not, we're not landing the plane quite yet. And so we, if, you've, if you've noticed, maybe throughout this series, you've been here <clears throat> the weeks throughout the series, there are some keynote statements that Jesus makes that makes. And maybe you're like, man, I've heard that statement. I've always heard that statement. But I, I didn't realize there was, that it was in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus being the master teacher and, and brilliant is able to put these statements, these keynote anchor statements, all throughout. The first being, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's really the the, the main point of the entire sermon, is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, before they will be satisfied. Another keynote uh, 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 statement that he made, shine your light before men so that they praise your Father who is in heaven, or that they applaud, applaud, they see your life and they start applauding God, that non-fans start applauding God. God. And another keynote statement, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And most of us here are going, oh, that's more funny than keynote, you know. But we're taking a look at this sermon that, that has its basis on a greater than, a greater than. Pursuing a greater God, pursuing a greater life, pursuing a greater righteousness. We just got done with six specific ways that Jesus talked about and how it comes out in our life. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does that look like? What does that look like? And we're talking about the, the, those past three weeks, we were looking at how, how the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day made some public things, things that should be public, very private. And if you've been here throughout those three weeks, maybe you feel like Jesus had your arm behind your back going, come on, come on, come on. And you're like, uncle, uncle, mercy, mercy, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, just stop. And you feel maybe that he's let his grip down a little bit and you get a deep breath. But then he goes, watch out. He ratchets up that arm just a little bit more, a little bit harder. Watch out, watch out. We're going to be in Matthew 6, 1. We're going to turn the page in the chapter, but the, chap- but, the, but the thought doesn't stop. The thought doesn't change. Watch out. You can follow along in a, in a, in a hard uh, case Bible or a physical Bible. You can follow along on the screen or on a smartphone or a tablet. Our password's here to serve on our, on our um, internet. It says, watch out. So if Jesus says, watch out, what should we do? Maybe look, all right? Maybe look at something. Keep your eyes open. 
Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. See, the question for today, the question for today is, can we shine our light so great that people miss God? Can we shine our light so great that people actually miss God? And Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying in this statement, that you can shine your light so great that people actually miss God and start applauding you. And some of, the, some of you that are maybe non-fans, you, just, you say, I'm just checking this thing out. I'm just kicking the tires. I was burned by church. I've never been to church or this, that, or the other. And you're, you're saying, I've kind of given up on that thing, but I'm just not interested enough to come and, and, and be here with you. You're like, wow, Jesus is pretty cool. Jesus is pretty cool. Like, I didn't realize that he said this. You're like, this is why I wasn't in church to begin with. This is why I got burned out in church because people were acting spiritual. They were showing up and it seemed like to be all about them, all about getting applause and all about people seeing them. That it wasn't really about God, it was about them. But they acted like it was about God. Jesus is pretty cool that he's like calling people out on that. And so we're going to look at three different, three different things in life that we can do. And, 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 and again, and again, like the previous six things, he could have picked anything. All right, he just picked the three that they dealt with in that time period. Three different things in our life and three different ways that we can actually end up Shining the light so brightly of our lives so that people miss God and end up applauding us. The first question he asks is, when we give, what reward are we looking for? When we give, what reward are we seeking? Matthew 6, 2, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Look, giving was something that God commanded in the Bible. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they could have ended up tithing up to 30% of their income. And you all whine about 10. Right? Quit your whining. No, that's not that sermon, okay? We'll get to that next week. They could have ended up giving about 30% of their income away to the, to the temple or to the tabernacle or to, to, the, to the priests that worked or to the needing. All these different tithes and all these different offerings that God said to give, it could have ended up being 30%. Here are a couple things that he said. Deuteronomy 14, 28. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you. See, the Levites, they were the priests. They were the ones that, that hung out around the tabernacle and help people with their spiritual life. And see, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Each one of them got an allotment of land that they could farm, that they could, they could do, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, metallurgy. I think that's a word or something close to that, you know, you know, that, you know, blacksmithing, things like that. They could make a living. All these 12 tribes could make a living. The Levites, they were supposed to stay in the tabernacle and hang out of the tabernacle in order to help people spiritually. They couldn't farm. They couldn't go out and, 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 and do, do coppersmithing and do the stuff with gold and, and do any of that. They had to hang out in the temple or, or the tabernacle and end up just helping people spiritually. And God was like, for the rest you tribes, bring an offering to the temple so that these guys can eat. These guys can eat as well as the foreigners living among you. The Hebrew faith was always supposed to be an evangelic faith. 
foreigners to, to, to Israel were supposed to see Israel's God and Israel's laws and how they conducted themselves and say, I want your God, so I'm going to give up my former way of life and come be a part of your country because I want your God. And so when the foreigners come among them, what they were saying was, I'm giving up my old life in order to find a new life, and they had no life in the land. So what God was saying, help them establish a life in the land by giving to them because they were in need. Think Ruth. Those of you that are familiar with the Bible, think Ruth. Think Ruth and Boaz. The orphans, the kids that were abandoned, they could not take care of themselves. The widows, the women that were abandoned by death and could not take care of themselves, take care of them. So they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. Deuteronomy 15, the next chapter. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for the canceling debts is close at hand. This is talking about the year, year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was that every seven years, they were supposed to let all their slaves go free and cancel all their debts. And, you, and those you're like, where's that today? And you're like, I would love that today. But, 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 but what God was saying was that if somebody comes to you at year number six and says, man, dude, I need a loan. And you say, oh man, it's year number six. Next year, I'm going to I'm gonna have to let him free on this loan. And so I'm not going to give him a loan. Here's what God says to that. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. So if you said no to this situation and the, and the guy goes away that just asked you for, for something, just asked you for a loan, and he goes away and he goes, hey, God, get him. God's saying, I'd be happy to. This is all talking about injustice. Injustice. God is a God of justice. And so when we are treating people with injustice, it doesn't matter for Christians or we, if we have faith in him or not, he doesn't like it. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some of the land who are poor. That is why he's commanding you to share freely with the poor and the, uh, with, with other Israelites in need. So God's commanded this, but in the years between God giving the law to the, year, the, to the years that Jesus was living, it got so twisted up that it wasn't about giving to the poor. It was about, look at me. Look at me. And so what they were doing... What they were doing is, is some people think that they had like this metal uh, thing that looked like a trumpet that was maybe a little bit like the make-a-wish thing that we put the, put the coin in and put the penny in and it goes round and round and we're nodding and we're like, uh, you know, a little bit like that. So they go into the temple and they throw it down. It was metal. They make a lot of noise and they call it the trumpet and stuff. I don't know if that's the case. Here's what I think Jesus was, was, was saying, even if that was the case. Here's what I think Jesus was saying. When you give to the poor, don't toot your horn. Don't toot your horn. And so, so it would be a little bit like today. I don't think anybody's got the intentional fortitude to do this among us, but it would be a little bit like today when we pass the ba- baskets uh, here in just a minute, somebody's standing up and going, hey, looky, looky here, looky here. I've got a $100 check. Look at, the- yes. Now, I don't think anybody's got the guts to do that today. Bailey's not here today. Yeah, challenging, challenging. But maybe, maybe you could do, you know, Taylor and Gideon was talking about this a little bit earlier this week in a little bit different context, but maybe it would be like, you know, when they, when they, when they, they we don't really pass the basket in front, you know, it's, you know, we know that that's awkward. We try and reduce as much awkwardness as possible and, 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 and everything. So we just kind of end up doing the head nod or the method, you know, hey, 
And so what it could, could be like, you know, t- Taylor and Gideon was talking about this, a little bit different context, but, but we could use that, you know, it could be like for you, you you're like, <sighs> look at me, look at me, look at me, everybody look at me, I'm giving, I'm giving. There's a little bit different context they were talking about, but, or, or, or it could be the, it could be the late giver, the late giver, you know, the late giver, you're like, sitting there and you're like oh no it's giving time oh look ah 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 you know you're 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 getting your stuff together you're getting in your purse or getting your wallet and you're getting all your stuff together but you're making a scene of it you're like oh look at me look at me so don't be late don't be the late giver this morning that's that's what i'm saying don't be the late giver because everybody will see you and or 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 this was one of my favorites in the church in the years past. And again, I, I know that nobody would have the intestinal fortitude to, to do this. Uh, I overheard our secretary talking with, with, with a guy. And he was reaming her out over uh, money discrepancy on his IRS statement or the, the end of year giving statement that we send out. A, every church is required to send out, but... He called her and was reaming her out for this. And I've worked with some pretty good secretaries, and they're not above mistakes, but I'm guessing it wasn't $10,000 type of mistake. It's like, if you give for the reward that IRS gives you at the end of the year, bravo, bravo. What reward are we seeking when we give? What reward are we seeking when we give? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they received all the reward they will ever get. Good job, guys. Bravo. See, they were giving in order for people to go, hey, look how spiritual they are. And I think there's probably a little bit of sarcasm in Jesus' voice. Kind of saying, guys, I'm not, People aren't impressed as what you think they are. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, Jesus is using a little bit of hyperbole or extended exaggeration in order to make a point. It's not about do we ever, uh, you know, give publicly, like, you know, pass the baskets and stuff, and like, hey, you know, that feeling of, I I give online, so should I get a card or something that I can put in the basket so that people can see that I do give, or, you know, something like that. But um, it's not about if we do it in a public setting. What Jesus is saying is what reward are we seeking? See, did you notice in both of the passages that we talked, uh, talked about from Deuteronomy, the, both the passages that, that, that we talked about, what did God say? I will bless you. Now you're like, oh no, this is that sermon that, you know, like he's going to say, if you give $100, expect that $400 check. No, 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 no. That's coming back to the, actually the gifts of men and the applause of men. That we're expecting monetary uh, remuneration for what we give. And God's like, dude, if that's your blessing that you want to get, then fine, here's your $400 check and just go on with your life. But the reward that we are seeking, the reward that we are seeking is, the, is seeing the Father do with our gift what He wants to do with it. That we see a life impacted because they need something. And just so that I can offend people on both sides of the ledger, we are supposed to give to the needy but we're supposed to give to the needy in order for them to get back on their feet. 
just to offend everybody, let me just say that. This isn't a political statement. It isn't about are we supposed to give and are we not supposed to give. And We're supposed to give. It's commanded by God. But we're supposed to give biblically in order to get them back on their feet. And so when we give and we give to somebody in need and we get to see them get back on their feet, what did Jesus say? What do we say today? It is better to give than to receive. What reward are we seeking? And when we give to the church, and we get to see the mission expanded through the church because of the dollars that we give, isn't that a reward? Isn't that a reward? What reward are we seeking when we give? Are we looking for the reward that only our Father can give, and that's the impact that a dollar can give to somebody or somebody's? But also Jesus. Also Jesus asked the question, what reward are you seeking when you pray? Because when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Matthew 6, 5. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and the synagogues where everyone can see them. See, in that day, they, the Jews, the good Jews, the, the, the religious Jews, the, the, the ones that were close to God Jews, were required to pray three times a day. Now, Daniel did this in, in well, in the book Daniel. Daniel did this in, in, in his book, and we see this, but he went to his room, faced Jerusalem, and prayed and sought God. But in this day what they would do is they would time it out just right so that they would be in the most public place possible when the time came to pray. So they'd be in the synagogue or they'd be in the temple uh, or, or, or my personal favorite is that they would find a way to at the right exact time be at one of the busiest intersections in the city so that when the time came, they would go, Oh God! So that people would be like, But again, note probably the sarcasm in Jesus' voice of going, hey, look, boys, your pants aren't as big as you think they are. People aren't as impressed as you think they are, and God certainly isn't. When we pray, when we pray, what reward are we seeking? And we've probably all been, been uh, apart and underneath those prayers because we, we wouldn't have the intestinal fortitude to give those prayers, right? That us here, you know, we, we, we wouldn't. That when... We've all heard those pr- prayers that, that, that when they're done, it's like, man, they used five words I didn't understand. Like you got your iPhone out, you're like Googling a word. <laughs> How do you even spell this? In the King's English, right, exactly. Are we praying for show? Are we praying for a reward where men are applauding us and people are re- applauding us? But Jesus spends the most time on prayer. Because in some ways, it's maybe the most confusing. Giving is giving, right? Whip out your wallet, throw a bill in there. Giving's giving. Prayer maybe is the most confusing. And then he says, don't babble on and on as, other, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So this is kind of opposite in maybe a little bit of the spectrum that, that, that instead of for the show of it, 
necessarily. You just think that God doesn't hear you, so you just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and get louder and get louder, and you like maybe start rocking, you know, maybe you know a little bit, and then just start moving and then swaying because maybe it's not the, this motion, maybe it's this motion that gets God to in, interest in, and then maybe you get up and you start pacing around and think Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. Those of you that know know that story of when the prophets of Baal, you know, they started out and they were just chanting and chanting and chanting and then they got louder and louder and louder and louder and then they started gyrating around like maybe Baal will hear me now and then they could start cutting themselves and shouting out and Elijah, maybe a little lack of spiritualness here, started taunts them, you know, and like, hey, where's your God? Maybe he's asleep, maybe he's going to the bathroom or something, you know. And Jesus said, look, 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 your heavenly father already knows what you need. You don't need to just babble on and on and on. And maybe some people are like, then why do we need to pray if he already knows what we need? Think of it like this. Think of it like your father. Probably most of you have probably been in this, this situation where, you know, you're just going to college. You're just getting started out in, 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 in life on your own. And the car breaks down or something happens and you need some money. And, 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 and you come to the point where you've got to make the ask, right? You've got to make the ask. So you call up dad and like, I, I need coffee. I need lunch. And you go to lunch and you're nervous and you kind of start beating around the bush maybe you're repeating yourself and you're repeating yourself and your dad just looks at you and goes how much do you need and you're like what hold, hold on wait a, wait a minute wait a minute how do you know that look 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 like i've been there before right i've been there before i was in that same exact situation look you called me for lunch you don't do that <laughs> you need something you need something. And that's what our Heavenly Father is like. He's like, dude, I know you need it. So just get on with it. Just get on with it. And the concept of God being Father, being Abba, being Daddy, was foreign to a Jew that day, in, in that day. God was so high up. God was so holy. God was so perfect. God was so transcendent that, that you couldn't come close to Him. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. He's our Father. He is our Father. And so that concept to, to a Jew, even though he is holy, even though he is perfect, even though he is transcendent, that concept of being Father, being close, was just, being Daddy, was just, it was a foreign language. And so Jesus then goes into the disciples' prayer. They're like, wait a minute, I thought this was the Lord's prayer. No. Jesus is teaching disciples how to pray, right? This is the disciples' prayer and what did he start out our father who is in heaven he hits both concepts our father who's in heaven it's like a king on his throne and this guy had worked for two years to get audience with the king to plead his case and while this guy is pleading his case the king's son or daughter comes running in and jumps in the king's lap and the kid's like, hold on a minute, and tickles the kid, and plays with the kid a little bit. What do you need? Oh, daddy, I need this. I'll go and ha- have fun. And the kid runs away, and the guy's like, I've worked for two years to plead my case, and now you just let your kid run in? What's this all about? And the kingly Abba, the kingly daddy, saying, yeah, exactly. It's my kid. Here's how the re- writer of Hebrews says this. Four, six. So let us come boldly to the throne of gracious God. Let's come boldly. Let's come run into his throne room and jump in his lap. 
There, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Some of you need to write this down and go memorize this. It is at his throne that we will find the grace and the mercy when we need it most. When we run and we jump in our kingly Abba's lap, that is where we find the grace and the mercy when we need it most. And so, like the people in that day, maybe you're wondering, how do you approach, how do you talk to our kingly Abba like this? How do you talk to him? Jesus says, I know. I know. Put away your ACTS. Put away your nice little cute little ways that you've tried to explain how to pray. I know. Look, those, some of you have figured this out. I'm not very creative. That's why I go with Jesus here. Why get creative when Jesus has spoken? Jesus might be on his throne going... Come on, guys. I told you how to pray. You know how to sing it opera style. Stop singing it and pray it. A few years back, we used this as a Disciple Now curriculum, the Sermon on the Mount. And as I was studying for this, it became apparent that Jesus was like, no, 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 pray this. This is a model prayer. Pray this. So ever since then, this has become the model by which I pray. Very practical. What does he say? We all know it, right? Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy or kept as holy. Some of you are like, where's the whole, hallowed be thy name, right? Where is that? Like, like, how old is God? You know, you've, you've heard that, right? Like, come on, let's, let's, let's talk today. Your name be kept as holy. Your name be honored as holy. So what we're doing is we're bending before God, our King. We're going right into His throne room. We're going, you keep your name as holy in my life. You keep your name as holy in my family's life. You keep your name as holy in my church's life. Anybody praying this, anybody getting on your knees daily and asking God to keep His name as holy because we know that we won't keep His name holy. We know we have vision creep and the vision creeps out of us. Even the vision of God being holy. And we're going, God, you keep your name holy in my life because I can't do it. Anybody praying this? Anybody getting on their knees daily before God and praying this? Then he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. That we're praying, God, your kingdom come into my life. Your kingdom come to my family's life. Your kingdom come into my, my, my church's life. Your kingdom come. Your leadership, your rule, your reign. I want it in my life. And then we're praying, your will be done. Because every king has a will. And we're asking God, your will be done. What you want from my life, you let that be done because I'm not going to do it on my own. I need you to do it. I need you to put it in me. I need you to work it out in my life, in my family's life, in my church's life. Are we praying this? Are we getting before God and praying this every day? Just think, a group of this size, if we prayed this and got our knees daily before God and actually meant it, what it would do? But then, but then, but then, he says, on earth as it is in heaven, right? 
Most of us, most of us maybe think that's associated just with his will, but no, 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 it's a literary device where Jesus is saying, your name be honored as holy on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking God, not just do it in my life, but let my life be the conduit in which you do it in the world. And so when we go to school this week, and when we go to, to the, the cubicle this week, and when we go to work this week, and we see that person, that the only time that God's name comes out of your, their mouth, it's not holy. We're not going, oh my gosh, I can't believe he'd say that. We're going, God, 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 you use me to make your name holy and valuable and precious to this guy. God, 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 you use me to make your kingdom look great to this guy. God, you use me to make your will look awesome to this guy. Let me be the conduit in which your name your kingdom, your will is done here on earth just like it would be done if I were in heaven. God wants heaven to be here on earth. He doesn't want us just to wait to die to get it. He wants us to have it here. He wants us to pray for it because, because we can't do it on our own. What if, what if, what if a group this size started to determine, I'm going to pray this. I need this. What if? And notice how this starts off. It's all about God, right? Interesting. When we start off and it's all about God and that's where we start, how interesting is it how small we see ourselves? So when we get to us, when we get to us and our needs and what we want, and we've seen how big God is. We're like, man, it's not that important anymore. It was, it was important until I saw the greatness of God and realized that my needs are very small compared to the greatness of my Father. So he says, give us this day our daily bread. Or give us today the food that we need. And Jesus was speaking to a day worker society where they went out and they worked their day for that denarii and and that's what they needed for that day. Most of us probably could go home and stop shopping and eat for a week, two weeks, a month. I wouldn't say that we'd eat well. We'd be able to eat. This is everything we need to get through today. The food, the money, the emotional, the spiritual, the, 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 the energy that we need to get through every day, that God wants to give you enough today for today so that when you put your head on the pillow, you said, I did what I, God gave me what I needed today. I knocked today out of the park. Let's do it again tomorrow, God. Let's do it again tomorrow. And when we start with our needs, our needs look huge. But when we start with the greatness of God, we get down to this and we go, I think you got it. Right? I think you got it. My needs aren't looking that huge anymore. And then what, he's, what does he say? Forgive us our debt or forgive us our sin as we forget our debtors or forgive those who have sinned against us. That we know that we cannot provide the cleansing power for ourselves. God isn't saying that we'll lose our salvation and just keep coming back for that. But he is saying that we won't be perfect. And that's not going to surprise him. And he is saying that we can't forgive ourselves when we're not perfect. 
And he's saying, come back to me every day to start again. God, forgive me for my lust. God, forgive me for my lying. God, forgive me for my cheating. God, forgive me for this. God, forgive me for that. I want to start brand new today so that I can stay clean. Forgiveness. And let us lead us not into temptation. Don't yield, let us yield to temptation. But rescue us from the evil one. See, a lot of times we stop at the forgiveness, right? We just get to cleansing. But we forget about the righteousness of God, that God wants to give us righteousness. And this is going back to the, to the, to the, to the, uh, uh, the armor of God deal, that, that God wants to protect us from, from temptation and that we know this. We know that we, dude, we're like, God, hey, look, if temptation comes my way, you know me. You know me. I'll fall right into it if temptation comes my way. I need you. I need your strength. I need your righteousness. I need your, your armor in order to stand strong against temptation. Hey, and, 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 God, 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 God. You know, it would be really cool if you just didn't let it come. They were going, you know, uh, your forgiveness is great and all. I love it. And I love the fact that it's there. But, you know, if I didn't need to use it, that'd be awesome. And you know me. You know me that if I have temptation come, that it's going to mess me up. It's going to jack me up. So I need your protection. I need your protection. Jesus is telling us, pray this. Pray this. And he finishes off with a little thing about forgiving those that forgive you and God won't forgive you. All that means is we don't understand God's forgiveness if we're not willing to forgive others. That's what that means. But what reward are we seeking when we pray? What reward are we seeking? Are we, rece- are we seeking the of men? Or are we seeking our kingly Abba Father working in power in our life? Ephesians 3.20. Some of you remember this. Some of you remember this from a few weeks ago. Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, within us, within us, is able to accomplish infinitely more than what we might ask or think. What's our reward? That we get applause from men or that God gets to do more inside of us than what we could ever imagine? What's the reward that we want? What's the reward that we're seeking after? When we pray, do we want God to do measurably more than what we can ever think or imagine? That's the promise of God. That's His promise. That's His promise. That's His promise. So let's go run and jump in His lap and ask Him to do this every day because that's what Jesus said He would do. gotten through two there's one more last one what reward are you seeking when you fast and some of you are like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. time out what do you mean when I fast (laughs) what are you talking about when I fast and when you fast 6.16, when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they will try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. So Pharisees and religious leaders often fasted two to three times a week, and what they would do is that they, they would just, they, they wouldn't get ready, they'd put ashes on, on their bodies, uh, they wouldn't fix their hair, they wouldn't shower, they would just basically look miserable, so that when they went out in public, people were like, 
Hey, look how spiritual they are. They're fasting right now. Ooh, wow, look at that. And again, the sarcasm of Jesus to be like, people probably aren't as impressed as you think they are, and God's certainly not as impressed as, they think they, as, as, as you think he is. And God says this to the Israelites back in Isaiah, back in the Old Testament. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 3. We have fasted before you, they say. Now this is God speaking through Isaiah about the Israelites and what the Israelites are saying. So the Israelites are saying, we fasted before you. Why aren't you, why aren't, God, why aren't you God impressed with us? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why God responds. It is because you are fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Look, you fast voluntarily, but you do not have a sense of justice in you. Your workers have to fast because you won't pay them. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? Stop it! And you're fasting while you're just fussing at each other? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourself by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is that what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? And some of you that are non-fans are going, man, I like this God. Calling up the religious people? Like, throw down. Jesus is saying... I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they will ever get. I went to SPU and at times people could be a little spiritual. And uh, the one particular guy was, was, uh, was kind of this classification. And uh, me and a couple other buddies were sitting down eating lunch and this guy walks up and had several other chairs around. And this guy walks up, sits down with a glass of water. And sits down and goes... <sighs> I'm like, oh, here we go. And he sits down and goes, fasting today. Got my water, not eating anything. Fasting today. And I don't remember what we replied out in the open, but I know what we were thinking. I think Jesus talked about that a few weeks ago, but that's my own spiritual issue. What reward are we seeking when we fast? And probably some of you are like, that's a really good question. What reward would we get if we fasted? I think we can glean a little bit from Matthew 9, 14. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him. Now, when we read the Bible, we just see black and white, right? Or red and white, you know, whatever. But it's just words written on the page. And, 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 and just like an email or text message, we can't always get the inflection and tone of the voice. But I think this was the tone of the voice of John's disciples. Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Like, what's, what's beneath that question? It's not fair, Jesus, right? It's not fair. You guys go to weddings. Dude, you turn the water into wine. The disciples are like, heart, a heart, a heart, a heart, a clink, you know? Like, they're party and hearty, and we're here fasting two to three times a week. Hmm. It's not fair. It's not fair. Why didn't you call me? It's not fair. Andrew was one of us. It's not fair. Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? 
Of course not. You ever been to a, to a wedding re, uh, uh, reception where the best man is just like, no, no, I'm good, I'm fasting? No, no. It's like prime rib, two, please. A drink, two, please. Coke, of course, milk. No, no, some of you have crashed that re- wedding. You're like, two, please. I'm here. Here's my invitation. Nobody fasts at a wedding feast. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Here's what Jesus is saying. When I'm there, when everything's good, when the relationship's good, when it's obvious that I'm there, celebrate. 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 That's what we want Sunday morning to be. We want Sunday morning to be a celebration because Jesus is here. Celebrate. Celebrate. But when he's not, when he feels a little bit far away because of our sin, because we're walking into a situation where we don't know the next step, because we're we're in over our heads, he's like, then fast. Then fast. Here's the reward of fasting. Here's the reward of fasting. Fasting is praying's not good enough. Words are, are not good enough. I hunger and thirst for you in such a way that I have to physically show it. I have to physically be there. God, I want you to satisfy. The reward of fasting is the satisfaction of God. The satisfaction of God. I want you to satisfy me. And mere words cannot supply that. So I need something more. I need to fast. One day, and one day probably very soon, we're going to be talking seriously about expanding our footprint as a building. Guess what? I want to call us to some time of fasting and prayer. Why? Because we're going to be way in over our heads. And God needs to show up. Network map. Some of your leaders fasted and prayed for you this week so that God will work in your life. Not because uh, I can't do this. I can't get you to serve. You're not that impressed with me, right? It's got to be the Spirit that does that. We fast because we need God to show up in a way that we can't do it ourselves. And mere words just ain't cutting it. Like I said earlier, Jesus could have picked any three, right? Today, he would have picked a different three. Maybe it would have been worship today, right? Don't wave your hands in front of me and worship. I'm not impressed. Could be reading your Bible. It could be Bible study. I mean, dude, at SBU, like, if you weren't in a Bible study every day of the week, you just weren't spiritual. Because, like, am I, you think I'm really impressed with this? We do know, right, that God's not impressed with their discipline. I love the, the, the language of the New Living Translation of, of Isaiah 58. God's not impressed with our discipline, right? We know this. We could be the most disciplined person on the face of the earth, and God isn't impressed with our discipline. When we make discipline the ends, we make discipline the reward. And the reward is bravo. God's not impressed with our discipline. So we seek after a greater discipline. That means that discipline is the means by which we hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love the imagery of the hunger and thirst. Because when we go to our favorite restaurant, the best restaurant in the city, or best restaurant in the state, or best restaurant in the United States, we've got to get there, right? We've got to show up. We've got to belly up to the table. We've got to come with a hunger and thirst, right? 
But then we were like, feed me. Huh? Feed me. And we leave. And we say, that's good for the rest of my life, right? No. When is the best? We want it again. We want it again. Taste to know that the Lord is good. Disciplines are the means by which we belly up to the table and say, God, feed me. God, feed me. Three primary ones, prayer, Bible, and community. But all we're doing is saying, God, I hunger and thirst for you. Feed me. Feed me. That's the greater discipline. Then we know that God's not impressed. So the pressure is off. We show up to God and say, feed me. So as the band plays, what's God speaking to you about the greater discipline? About how he needs to feed you? What's he saying? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I just pray, Lord, that you continue to move and continue to show yourself. Lord, let us hunger and thirst for you and for your kingdom and for your righteousness so that you can feed us and that we get our reward directly from you. Lord, we just thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. Aren't you free to do what you need to do? Not in show, right? But you're free to do what you need to do in order to seek after God. If that's be there, then be there. If that's sitting, if that's kneeling, if that's coming and talking with, with somebody to pray with them, myself and Shelly will be back there, or somebody that you trust, then do that. If it means finding a place on the floor to just put yourself, lay yourself out before God, do that. But use this time as means to letting God feed you.